It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as always we have two fantastic guests for you tonight on the show. First up I'm going to be talking to Paul Moore about his food journey that started in his mother's kitchen making chilli sauce with his brother to sell at his local farmers markets and food festivals around the country before deciding to go full-time in 2014 with his business Rebel Chilli. And then we're going to hear from another budding entrepreneur, Aoife Noonan, a chef who has enjoyed success in Michelin star kitchens, as well as winning awards at various competitions, TV appearances and so much more, and who has launched her own venture, which involves online cookery classes and limited edition pastry lines at which chocolate often takes centre stage. But before we talk to Paul, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me, s.noonan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So as I said, Paul Moore is the founder and director of Rebel Chili, an award-winning food producer that makes a range of sauces in Cork using natural ingredients, with no additives or preservatives, and they're gluten-free and vegan. So let's find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Paul, great to meet you by Zoom, and you're very welcome to the programme. You are from Rebel Chile, which sounds very exciting. Just tell us about the business and how it all started. Thanks, Sharon. Great to be here with you. I started Rebel Chili uh, way back when I was in my mother's kitchen at home in Cork, um, very much as a kind of a, a bit of a bit of fun and just to see what 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 I could do and started selling at farmers markets and kind of went from there. So I was managing it in college and then when I finished college, I went full time. So very much was uh, organic, I suppose, from kitchen home to farmers markets, local shops, to supermarkets. Um, so that was seven years ago now, which is hard to believe. Um, but it's been it's been a lot of fun, like a lot of learning as well. Um, but it's 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 a very enjoyable uh, business or job, I suppose you call it. And what were you studying at college? I was studying business information systems in UCC. So I suppose a mixture of computing and business. Um, and when I was in third year, I went on placement in New York, and I kind of realized then when I did placement that I definitely wanted to give Rebel Chili a go because I had gone from kind of being my own boss to working in a company, which was fine, but I kind of knew that after that experience, I wanted to try it out for myself um, full-time. So I went full-time in June 2014 when I finished college. And why chilies? Why a chili sauce? Uh, good question. I suppose I had a love of hot sauce and really found there wasn't any good... Um, natural versions on the market like any products on on the shelves had like loads of sugar loads of salt or didn't even taste that nice so it was very much just wanting to see what uh what i could do um and i suppose it was it was great to get people's reactions to farmers markets because you quickly realized there was a market for it now this was seven years ago so 
palettes were not as adventurous as they are now. So, um, but it was still good to see that people had a taste for it and enjoyed it. And where do you source the chilies from? Because I believe it's not that difficult to grow chilies in this climate if you have a nice warm sunroom. My sister used to, to grow quite a few of them and, and they sprung up with no bother. But obviously the volume that you would need for your business would be quite considerable. It would, and I thought that that is the issue. Like we'd love to grow it ourselves, but the, the volume we need, like it would be a whole separate business. Um, so the majority of the chilies and peppers come from the Netherlands or Spain. So there would be the two main countries, and then for the hotter ones, sometimes you would venture as far as maybe Uganda. Um, but generally, I would say ninety percent of all the peppers come from the Netherlands. And I think whenever you're dealing with a freshly grown product like that, in my experience now, um, the pasta arabiata would be one of my favourite dishes. And I know one particular Italian restaurant that I've been in that one week it might be quite mild, the next week it could burn the gob off, you'd be so hot from the chilli. So to get that consistency of flavour must be quite challenging. It can be challenging, like we've had um, batches in the past which had no heat because the habanero peppers we get, which are the hottest ones we use, they were complete duds, so there was no heat in them at all, they looked the exact same. So um, we kind of found that out after making the sauce. Now, since then we always test the chilies beforehand, but it can be an issue, like I suppose as with, with a fresh product, there are, there are going to be... Um, inconsistencies I suppose which is I suppose part of the beauty of it as well but for, for the most part we, we kind of have it sorted which is good to know. And who has that lovely job of tasting the, the, the chilies whenever they come in because that that's a quite a fiery number to have to undertake. I do unfortunately so like I regularly would be in uh, our suppliers at half seven eight in the morning breaking a pepper in half dabbing my finger on it and putting it on my tongue so not the most um, pleasant experience at eight in the morning but it's it's uh, it has to be done and you said there about palettes have progressed and changed a lot in the past seven years and maybe the most recognizable chili is the long red one what's that one called that's called the cayenne chili. Um, so you're right, that would be the most recognisable. And of all of our sauces, the most popular is the red chili sauce, which uses the red cayenne. And I think part of the reason is that people are familiar with red chili because we have a green chili sauce made with the green chili, but it's nowhere near as popular. And I think it's because one, people aren't as familiar with it, but also the red is more appealing than the green. Yeah, and I think it's like red peppers versus green peppers. People maybe there's more of a bitter taste from from the green, and and they lend themselves better to certain recipes. And and people just as you say, we eat with our eyes, so the the visual aspect of the red chili is maybe more appealing. And you mentioned the habanero one. Is that the small kind of round apple shaped, but miniature mm -hmm. apple shaped one? It is, it's the small kind of, that, that description is quite good and it has like ridges in it and it like a green stem. So it also goes by the name Scotch Bonnet, so habanero or Scotch Bonnet and they are, like they're actually, I love using them or cooking with them because they've got a lovely fruity flavour but they are very, very hot. So like you do need to be careful, like we were making some yesterday in the kitchen and a few hours afterwards, even though I had warm gloves and washed my hands and all that, you'll still, if you wipe your face, you'll get a nice streak of burn for a few minutes so you have to be careful 
Could you you'd want to make sure those hands are well washed as well <laughs> before in case you go to the the toilet as well because you wouldn't yeah. want any any heated sensations in the oh. wrong places as a result of that. And I know what you're saying there about the eyes. A lot of people they learn the hard way what can can happen there. Um, totally, yeah. Like I've noticed in the past that when I've gone for maybe a run after a production, um, when you sweat, if you have like it really sets off. The chili sauce I've noticed like if I have a splash in my arm and I missed it really sets it off which okay, is kind of crazy wow. so you're getting a double burn double burn indeed and the the original product was the sweet chili one using the the red chili pepper that you're talking there about there and then what was the second one was the the green chili one the second one in the range because you have you've done a lot of new product development I would say to introduce different mm types of chili sauces onto the market which i would say would be quite new for ireland and the and the irish palate yeah not the not the typical irish uh startup um but yeah was the red chili was the main one then it was a habanero relish which is like a hot sauce hot relish um we have a hotter product in the chili in air which is the hottest one but then we also went into kind of a sweeter milder version the jalapeno and raspberry chili jam which is great because it's bit different um, and we have a barrel aged hot sauce which is hot sauce aged in an Irish whiskey barrel and a Korean barbecue sauce which is the newest one so we have seven in total um, so kind of a bit varied and the Korean would be the most unique I would say because it's not a hot sauce or chili sauce which is it's an area we wanted to go in kind of branch out of the, the existing area we were in. A number of food products, um, what really takes them to the next level in terms of consumers buying them is that they get an opportunity to taste them. And you started at the farmer's market, which is an ideal starting point for any small food business. But you've progressed considerably since then and the products are widely available and you've won a number of awards. How useful have those awards been in raising the profile of the products and generating sales for you? Yeah, the awards are great, I suppose, firstly, because lots of people, when they see a Bloss or a Great Taste Award on it, you know, it's almost like an instant seal of approval. So I remember after we won our first uh, Bloss and Hair Award in Dingle in 2014, the next day, people literally said, oh, I see that as a gold Bloss, I don't even have to taste it, which was surprising at the time, but it makes sense now. Um, so it just it really helps with getting, I suppose, a, a vote of confidence behind the product. And as you said, the most important thing is if people can taste it, they're far more likely to buy it. But if they can't taste it, if there's a sticker on it from an award, it just makes it that bit more credible, I suppose. So they're very helpful in getting, I suppose, new contracts, existing sales and new sales as well. And tell us about some of the contracts that you have at the moment with the food service and the multiples. So we, our newest one, we just launched into the Grow Aldi uh, program. So we're in every Aldi at the moment with our Korean barbecue. So uh, we also have been supplying Aldi on and off for the last few years with our red chili, green chili and jalapeno and raspberry. Um, we're also in Super Value and Dunn stores. Super Value mostly in Munster and Dunn stores nationwide. And then our food service is, um, our largest food service customer is uh, Chopped. So the kind of range of salad bars, so they have... Uh, two of our sauces on their menu. Fantastic, great collaborations there and it's fantastic to hear that the products are widely available so when people buy them what do they do with them? That's the second question because 
you know, sweet chili sauce. It's I would have it maybe on a wrap, depending on what's in the wrap. Obviously, like the the chicken goujons go really well with it in this house. But those different products, let's talk about each one and maybe some of the different uses for them just to inspire people. Yeah, I know you're dead right, Sharon, because I find the biggest thing people ask me is when they buy a bottle of sauce, the next thing is they say, how do I use it? Because lots of people buy a bottle, it sits in their fridge and it isn't used. So, um, like for the red, the red and green chili, they're fantastic with chicken or seafood. They can be used as dips or marinades as well. Um, the Korean barbecue is really nice with thin slices of beef or to marinate chicken or as a dip, and it's very good as a stir-fry sauce. The jalapeno and raspberry chili jam then is great for cheese, um, and it's very nice in a burger or a sandwich because it's quite sweet with a little bit of a heat. And then the hottest sauces are fantastic over eggs in particular or with meat or in a curry or a soup or a pasta sauce to add a bit of, bit of a kick. Yeah, so there's there's no lack of uses there if you just use a bit of imagination. And I think you have different recipes on your, your website to give people more inspiration. We do indeed, yes. We have over 50 recipes on our website. So the website is rebelchili.com and you see there's a recipe page. So we've built up a lot of recipes there because... We wanted people, if they needed some inspiration or just wanted to take a look, they can go on there and there's recipes for all of the products. And as you said, they all are quite versatile. I think lots of people might buy a sauce and think it's only good for one or two things. But with our sauces, they are kind of can be used in a lot of different ways. And where do you get your inspiration for coming up with new ideas and new products? I would say the biggest inspiration is probably travel. Um, like obviously, we haven't been able to travel now, but in 2019 i think i went to costa rica for two and a half weeks so it was really good to just see how they use sauces now there would be different to us in that every every place you go in costa rica like a lot of south, south american countries have two bottles of sauce on the table everywhere but like i i particularly remember one uh, instance where we there was a passion fruit um passion fruit hot sauce or a passion fruit marinade for a bit for meat and I remember tasting it and thinking like I would love to, to copy this basically um because it was so good so I would say travel and just seeing I suppose what's going on abroad like you know in places like New York and Melbourne are generally a few months or years ahead of us so it's always good to see what's happening there and have you found the Irish have been great to support you because obviously it is a, an Irish made product they have yeah I mean I think especially now uh, people look to see that it's made in Ireland because I think they want to support a local or Irish company with their money and so it's great because you know we obviously need that we're a small company so we depend on people's support so it's fantastic something we very much appreciate because we're very aware that no one has to buy a bottle of rebel chili you know so um, it really means a lot when you see someone picking up a bottle or two or going into Aldi or Duns or whatever and getting and stocking up. And in this day and age where people are gluten-free or vegetarian, vegan, your products all tick those boxes? All of our products, except for the Korean, are gluten-free and vegan. So the Korean has soy sauce in it, so that's the only one that isn't suitable for celiac, but it is suitable for vegan. So um, they're relatively clean in that sense, if you know what I mean, and we don't use any additives or preservatives either. Yeah, and as you said, the commercially produced sweet chilli sauces, there can be a lot of sugar in them. They can, and that's kind of one of the main reasons I didn't want ours to be that sweet, is that they're laden with sugar or salt, so like, as a, because it's a sweet chilli, it does have sugar in it, but like nowhere near as much as the average supermarket chilli sauce would. 
Fantastic. Well, listen, to finish up then, you must tell us, what does the future hold for Rebel Chile? You've achieved so much success in such a short space of time. Say we were to look down the line to 10 years into the future, where would you like to see the, the company position then in, in terms of access to products and the product range? I suppose, like, ideally it was the grand vision, if, if that's what you want to call it, would be just to have everyone in Ireland with a bottle of Rebel Chili in their fridge, akin to how you would see a bottle of tomato sauce or a mayonnaise. Um, and also, I suppose, to expand into the UK and the US, really. That would be amazing if in 10 years' time we were a household name or at least popular in those countries. They're a lot more difficult to crack. But um, it would be great if we had a presence in, I suppose, in most of the major countries and if everyone knew who Rebel Chili was, we'd be in a good position. Well, the name is fantastic. Of course, you're flying the flag for Cork, which I hadn't really realised until I started talking to you <laughs> and put all that together. So a fantastic name, a fantastic business. Lovely to talk to you, Paul. Thanks so much for telling us all about it tonight. And if people want to find out more or get in touch or buy the product, where's the best place for them to go? So to find us, we've got Rebel Chili or, or Facebook or just Google us, so it's at Rebel Chili. And we have an online shop there as well. And as I said, if they want to message us or send us an email, they can do that um, and they can get our products. And as I said, done super value chat everywhere like that. And thank you very much for having me on too, by the way. You're very welcome. It's been great to talk to you and continued success. You too. Thank you, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're very welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard Paul Moore, founder and director of Rebel Chili, an award-winning food producer that makes a range of sauces in Cork. But if you missed that and you're just tuning in now, you can catch The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Next tonight, we are going to turn our attention to a renowned award-winning pastry chef. After a decade spent working at the highest level, Aoife Noonan is leaving professional kitchens behind to launch her own business. She'll be offering a range of bespoke, high-end online cookery classes aimed at discerning foodies, and she's also announced the first of a series of monthly must-have limited edition pastry line releases. I'm delighted that Aoife joins us now to tell us how her childhood and career have brought her to this new and exciting chapter. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Aoife, you're very welcome to the best possible taste. Thanks so much for joining me on the programme. And I suppose the first thing we need to get out of the way is we're not related. We both have the <laughs> Noonan surname, but there's no connection. And you're from Dublin, I believe. Yeah, hi Sharon, thanks so much for having me on. Um, no, we're not related. <laughs> I did have to have a think, but no, I, we're, we're not. Um, yeah, I'm from Dublin, so definitely no relation there. But my parents are from uh, Dublin as well. We would have to do a lot of research then to maybe try and, and find a West Limerick connection. So we, <laughs> we will park that and find out a bit more about you before we find out about your, your latest venture. So you grew up in Dublin, and let's go back to your childhood. Did you have a love for cooking, baking, eating chocolate whenever you were a child? 
Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, we all have a sweet tooth, I think, when we're kids. Um, but I, yeah, I do remember cooking a lot with my mum and she was always baking and she always had this kind of cookbook that she was, uh, you know, a bit of an amateur baker, a home cook, and she had this red cookbook that she used to just make the same three recipes from. I just remember the the, the pages on those three recipes were just really sticky. But um, no, I remember baking with her. And um, I think it all kind of came, it all kind of developed once I started in, um, in secondary school, when I actually started in home economics and in secondary school and was, was in the kitchen making making buns and making pizza from scratch and thinking it was great. Um, but as far, that's as far back as I kind of can remember in terms of food, yeah. And whenever you were doing your leaving then, were you very set on what you wanted to do after your leaving? No, absolutely not. I actually, I've always wanted to be a teacher, <laughs> a primary school teacher, always. Like my whole life, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then I think I got to my leaving cert and, you know, as every 17 year old, you know, has no clue what they want to do in college. Um, so I explored different options and I tried to think, well, what are my favorite subjects? What would I really enjoy? Um, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe primary school teaching isn't for me. Um, I did home ec and I loved music as well. So I think I considered both of those as a career opportunity. And then in the end, I, I ended up going for the, the cooking side of things. And I did a culinary arts degree in, in Dublin, in DIT, TUB. One of the things that always strikes me when I talk to, to different chefs is there's always an element of creativity there outside of the kitchen and music seems to feature quite a lot. Like if we yeah. look at, at what we've heard about Nevin Maguire and his decks and being a DJ, <laughs> Paul Flynn down in um, in Dungarvan, yeah. they did their, their festival down at Home Kit. He had music, a whole list of music with connections yeah. to Dungarvan and then Chris Starr who is a chef here in West Limerick in the Dunraven he was in a band before he went into the kitchen full-time and he has a great passion for music as well so it's always really interesting to hear that that music always seems to feature quite prominently in chefs lives. Yeah I mean I don't I never kind of made the link um in terms of the creativity side um but no that makes sense it makes complete sense yeah um I think maybe I was always creative I, I did art in school as well it was a bit arty and I'm not an artist but um I think yeah maybe the, that kind of arts and crafts side music creativity that maybe played played a role well then you went on to was it DIT you went to so I did the uh, culinary arts degree there and that was four years um so that was just a, a, like very broad in terms of um like food related subjects it was nutrition and food product development and wine studies and all the practical stuff as well that goes along with becoming a chef. So it really was kind of a, a mixed bag, um, which is great because it really does give you kind of an insight into all aspects of the food industry. So I did it, did it dabbled in a kind of lot of things. I think that's one of the huge advantages about that culinary arts degree or doing that sort of um, studying because it is very diverse. It's not just about cooking normal everyday dishes you you mentioned nutrition there wine like the, the diversity there really gives you an opportunity to see where your passion lies and your passion came through in pastry yeah no it's great it does give you the opportunity to explore all the different subjects surrounding food you're not just going to college to be a chef um so yeah i think we we um you're given the opportunity to choose between 
pastry or uh, hot kitchen, which is everything else, uh, basically, in your, your third and fourth year. And I chose pastry to specialize in. Um, so that was interesting. But I, but I only chose it because I was actually better at the hot kitchen side of things. And I wanted to, I wanted to kind of even out the, the balance of, of how good I was at pastry. So I wanted to learn more about pastry. And that's why I, I chose to specialize in it my final year. You clearly like to challenge yourself and stretch yourself. <laughs> or maybe I just didn't know what I was doing <laughs> back then. <laughs> but um, no, I, I uh, yeah, the last few years I've definitely kind of seen just in terms of work and how I am in work. I've, yeah, I, I do seem to push myself and um, maybe I just like the pressure. I don't know. Maybe I just like that kind of um, aspect of it where, you know, you are pushing yourself and, and you're not kind of sitting in your comfort zone. There's always kind of something new and something new to kind of get wrap your head around. And when you were at college, did you have the opportunity to do different placements in, in restaurants, hotels, maybe travel abroad? Yeah, in our second year, we did a five-week placement. Um, and that was kind of a, a restaurant. Um, we got the choice to go to a restaurant in Dublin. And then in the third year during the summer, um, we got to go abroad. So I went to France. Um, which was really, really interesting. Um, I didn't work in a restaurant or a bakery or anything. It was, um, I worked in a hotel in France, um, and that was near Bordeaux. And it was kind of like a mix of front of house and managing the hotel and cooking in the kitchen. So it was really very like a mix of all things, um, which was great because I still at that point didn't know if I wanted to be a chef. And that was in my third year. So. Whenever you graduated then, looking at your CV, it's a fairly impressive CV, in particular working in Patrick Gibault's, the two-star Michelin restaurant in Dublin in the Marion Hotel. Yeah, so I, I worked in a few different restaurants then after college, but back then there was, there was so many uh, chefs looking for jobs. Nowadays, it's the complete opposite. Um, restaurants are crying out for chefs, but back then there was no chef jobs. So it was very difficult for me to actually find a job once I graduated. Um, and I did work in uh, Dublin and a few different hotels. And then I worked in uh, restaurants. And then, and then that kind of led me to working in, in Patrick Debo's where, where I suppose it kind of all started. Um, yeah, so I was there for, for three and a half, nearly four years, I think it was. And that must have been a great learning opportunity, working with other chefs at such a high level. Oh, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, I went in and I, I wasn't at that level. I was at the very, very bottom and I lacked quite a lot of confidence. I didn't think I could, I could do it at all. Um, and I think I just needed a bit of a push as well, um, to kind of have this kind of self-belief and, and, and actually challenge myself. Um, but I mean, two Michelin start cooking. I'd never experienced this. Um, even doing placements or work experience or anything, I, I always thought, oh, no, I, I, I shied away from it because I thought, I, actually, no, I wouldn't even be good enough to, to do work experience there. So I, I never thought <laughs> I, would, um, I would do well uh, in, that kind of, in that kind of work environment, but it was, um, and, that, and, and, you know, with food of that standard, but obviously everyone has to start somewhere, and it was an absolutely amazing learning experience, and I don't... I mean, I, I, you know, that's, yeah, that's where it all started, really. 
And I have heard, and look, I know this isn't true across the board, but that females are better with pastry because they have a lighter touch than maybe their male (laughs) counterparts would have. And look, you know, Paul Kelly from the Marion Hotel dispels that myth because that seems to be his area of expertise and Shane Smith as well from from Cavan. But it does kind of make sense, doesn't it, that, you know, females would have a, a more delicate touch whenever you're working with very fine materials, little pastries, cakes, buns and whatnot. I mean, I suppose it might be easy to think that, but I mean, I I know so many amazing male pastry chefs, as you mentioned a few there, and um, Darren Hogarty from Chapter One is probably one of the best uh, pastry chefs I've ever met. Um, you know, I don't think it really does come down to gender. I think it's easy to kind of maybe think that, but um, there are some <laughs> amazing men out there who are, you know, way beyond... Uh, amazing they're just they're they just they've got something they've got a delicate touch and they've got you know they've got it so I don't think it it comes down to gender at all and as a female chef you've always been great at flying the flag for the industry taking part in various cookery demonstrations at food festivals such as Taste of Dublin and the West Waterford Festival of Food and then also you've made a number of TV appearances as well which is all fantastic exposure for you as a brand the Aoife Noonan brand but also I think that can inspire young people and in particular females to consider going into the industry and as you said there there is such a shortage of chefs at the moment compared to whenever you graduated. So tell us a bit about doing cookery demonstrations um, firstly, because you mentioned about considering being a primary school teacher, that that's really what you always wanted to be. So when you find yourself on a cookery demonstration chef, when you find yourself on a cookery demonstration stage for the first time, did you really feel at home doing that? Well, first, well, the first time I did a demonstration was actually in Waterford Food Festival, um, <laughs> and I was absolutely terrified. Um, I hadn't got a clue, you know, how to speak to the audience. Maybe, you know, I was just so used to working, putting my head down, and cracking on with my work. So this was a completely new experience for me. Um, but you know, over time, I did kind of gradually, maybe enjoy the whole process and the whole experience of giving demonstrations and kind of imparting my knowledge to to kind of other people and I I get such fulfillment from it I get such satisfaction you know teaching or doing demos or master classes and and seeing somebody achieve something I get such a kick out of it and um yeah I think that probably comes down to the kind of (laughs) the, the desire to be a teacher back in the day um I just, I love it. And I feel like it's not naturally maybe kind of swayed that way after a number of years. Um, and, and that's kind of how it's ended up now. But yeah, no, the, the demonstration side of things, I absolutely love it. And yeah, I, I absolutely love it. TV appearances, you've appeared on Maura and Dohi on RTE. You've been in some of Rachel Allen's programmes as well. Was that more nerve wracking or was that easier than doing the live cookery demonstrations? <laughs> Um, well, the Moran Dahi show is live, so that's that's another um, thing altogether. I mean, it is quite nerve wracking, yeah. And you know, when you're you know you're live and you can't really make a mistake, um, you know, and you don't know if you're going to just kind of blurt out your words or, or um, 
you know, you have to keep to a specific time and that's another, you know, kettle of fish completely. So, I mean, every time I do these kind of like demos or, um, you know, TV things or anything else, it's, it's another kind of notch and it's another kind of learning experience for me. Um, so I just kind of soak it all up every time (laughs) I do something like that. Um, but no, I really enjoy it. And even though it is nerve wracking, I think the more you do things, the more kind of confident you get over time and think, okay, well, I'm, I'm the one baking the cake here and like I know what I'm doing so stop you know stop thinking you're gonna mess up just make the cake like people watching at home don't know (laughs) what you're making so um yeah and look, they don't know if it's right or wrong. And usually you have maybe an eight minute slot to do something yeah. that would take considerably longer at home. Um, and yeah. they don't get to taste it, obviously, whenever it's on television. A number of years ago, I interviewed Nevin Maguire and um, I asked him, you know, how did you end up on TV, Nevin? And he said, oh, such and such had heard about him and then had got him on to the, the program that Derek Davis used to do. Um, the name escapes me now and then I said yeah but how did they hear about you to get you on TV and it was a result of winning the the Young Chef of the Year I think it was the Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year competition and you yourself you've won a number of different awards which have probably helped you along in your career helped your confidence that you you've talked a lot about your confidence there but also you know they're great for the CV Absolutely. Um, I did a yeah a chocolate competition. That was when I was working in in Patrick Debo's. Now I didn't even think I was going to do it, but I think a few chefs before me had done it. Um, in, uh, and they had represented Patrick Debo, so it was um, it was kind of a natural thing that that we we entered um as a restaurant. Uh, so I yeah there was um the Valrona chocolate competition, which is a premium like French chocolate. And I won that. That was back in 2014. And, um, yeah, I got to the final and we were, it was actually based in DIT and you have four hours to make a dessert, start to finish using a number of chocolates. And there were, I think it was four other chefs there, five other, maybe it was six in the final. Yeah. Five, sorry, five. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I, I, they announced me as the winner and I think I was in shock. I was, I was just surprised because the way I was working during the competition, that was just how I always worked in Patrick Ebo's and I think you know when you're in a different environment or even after I left Patrick Ebo's and I was working I maybe realized kind of how much experience and how much skill and knowledge I had gained from that uh, from working there um so that was the the Valrona competition and then I also won um with food and wine pastry chef of the year uh, a few years ago so I mean obviously it's, it's amazing and I, I was in you know in great company with other the other chefs that were nominated and everything but you know of course I was delighted uh, <laughs> to win I you know sometimes it's, it's very surreal for me to kind of believe <laughs> that I have won it but um or that I had won it but no it's great and obviously I was, I was delighted to, yeah and no Definitely doubt has helped as well and no doubt well deserved and you're also a brand ambassador for both Kenwood and Avonmore so that must have been very exciting whenever they got in touch asking you to fulfill those roles yeah, I mean, of course, they're, they're such um, well-known global brands. Um, Avonmore are the, the leading dairy producer in Ireland. Um, so they, they launched a, um, a professional cream, so a cream aimed at professional chefs and bakeries um, and pastry shops in China, actually, in the Asian market. So it's not available here. 
Um, and they asked if, you know, they got in touch with me to maybe come on board and see if I wanted to develop recipes using the cream and essentially be the brand ambassador for their product um, in China. So I got to go to China. Um, it was amazing. We did a bakery trade show. I designed all the desserts that are on the cartons. Um, so it was, it, it was a completely new experience again and kind of something else that was a learning curve for me. Um, and, you know, working for a brand like that, I just, you know, you want to do the best job you can. So um, that was a challenge in itself. And, you know, what they wanted was, well, the whole brand is, is you know, premium, it's high end, it's for professionals. So the, the desserts that I was making had to reflect that. So that was, I kind of took a little bit from my French um, classical kind of experience, you know, with that and with the kind of patisserie side of things. Um, so that was a really, really interesting um experience altogether and then uh with Kenwood yeah Kenwood are amazing uh you know just uh, my whole kitchen is Kenwood appliances um and yeah it's great to, to work with them this year um so I've been developing recipes for them and um it's just been really fun so obviously they're they're a great another great brand and I, you know I'm just delighted to be associated with brands of that kind of caliber really Absolutely. And all of that, your experience, the awards, your training at college has now brought you to your latest venture. And I think it's also incorporating that dream to be a teacher. You have an online cookery school, but you're also doing limited edition patisseries and, and cakes every month. So tell us about ifanunan.com and, and why you decided to leave the professional kitchen behind and go out and explore having your own venture. Well, I don't think it was a quick uh, a quick decision. I think this is something that was probably in the pipeline for a while. Um, I left professional kitchens in 2018 and then I was kind of pursuing other projects um, and uh, working with different brands and really just figuring out what I wanted to do in terms of my next step. And, you know, I don't know if I got to an age and I had a bit of a crisis and I thought, well, what, what am I doing with, you know, my life? <laughs> Is this what I want to be doing? I did feel a bit lost. I wasn't sure in what direction I wanted to go. And I took a bit of time out and um, I went traveling for a bit and, you know, I did kind of come back and I thought, right, well, you know, what's the next step? What do I really want to do? Because I think I maybe lost a little bit of that passion um, and I, I just kind of wanted to maybe learn something new or do something different. So um, I, yeah, I think the, the, the whole new venture has, has definitely, well, the, the pandemic has probably um, pushed things forward a little bit. I think, I think a lot of people um, have changed tack uh, with, you know, in the last year have adapted and, you know, maybe considering other, other opportunities. I know a lot of chefs have um, with all the restaurants being closed. But the, yeah, as I said, like, always wanted to be a teacher. Um, you know, I think my year's experience with, with all of those things, with the, the cooking and the demonstrations and the teaching and, you know, even working in those fine dining kitchens, it's, it's allowed me to kind of create something new that blends, like, all of that experience with my own personality. And, you know, I can really kind of put my own creative stamp on it and have the complete control of this business um so I think it definitely you know plays to my strengths it's two different things it's um cooking classes which are uh as I said love teaching <laughs> you know that <laughs> I love teaching um 
you know, I just want to be able to to offer something and, and share something, share my passion with people. You know, we don't need, I don't need a physical cookery school to be able to do that. And I think with the last year, pandemic has really kind of given people an appetite to, to learn something new or try something new. So I know a lot of, uh, there's a kind of a lot of online things uh, have happened in the last year. But yeah, the, the flip side of it is the limited edition pastry drops, which is, you know, comes from my fine dining experience and allows me to kind of create a new dessert or pastry every month um, that just showcases, you know, the classic patisserie, all those kind of um, really contemporary or complementary flavors and textures. And it just gives me uh, the opportunity to be creative with it and, and to kind of, you know, put pressure on myself as well. And I think I do miss that from, from the kitchens is, is putting that pressure to the, on myself. So the fact that everything is changing every month, it does allow me to kind of to, to kind of put myself under that pressure. Well, give us a flavour um, that we, uh, unfortunately, we can't taste the fantastic flavours, but give us a flavour <laughs> of the limited edition um, cakes and patisseries that you're doing, because I'm, I'm looking at a picture of one here and I am totally salivating. It just looks delicious. <laughs> Um, well, the first pastry uh, drop is for July, um, and it's a chocolate entremet cake. So it's an entremet cake is a traditional French like layer cake, um, usually like a mousse cake, and it's got all these different layers in it. So once you like it, it just kind of looks like a chocolate mousse cake on the outside. And when you cut into it, you've got all these beautiful layers, lots and lots of different textures and flavors. And um, the entremet that I'm producing for July is a um, it's it's kind of coincides with World Chocolate Day, which is on July seventh, and the uh, my entremet has layers of hazelnut sponge and praline mousse, some crunchy hazelnut, uh, a lemon confiture, which is like a lemon jam, and uh, a caramel mousse as well, caramel creme, sorry, which is like a custard, and then that's all wrapped in a chocolate mousse. So there's lots of it's quite technical. There's lots of layers in there. When you eat like one kind of piece and you get all the layers together it's just beautiful it's chocolate and, ha and hazelnut and caramel all complement each other and then the lemon just gives it a little bit of an acidic kind of twang and something that you might not expect so it's just it's just a really lovely um lovely cake a nice little celebration um but yeah that's where I was kind of going with that so it, it does kind of coincide with the with the world chocolate day so that's why I wanted to do something chocolate for the first drop so that's the that's the entremet cake it sounds absolutely wonderful, but unfortunately, it is only limited to a certain part of the country, so Dublin and the surrounding area. However, for people outside of that area that you can deliver that to, you're running a two-hour long cookery class, and I'm reading here about learning how to make salted caramel, dark chocolate truffles, black forest panna cotta and all sorts of other fantastic delicious things so tell us about the the cook along and how that works so the cookery class is is all online and um, so you can tune in from anywhere and i really wanted the cookery classes to be accessible to everybody no matter what their kind of skill set so the the this one is also the first one is also based around world chocolate day so we're cooking all things chocolate and yeah, it's just really kind of tasty little kind of bites. Of course, I wanted to make sure we got a lot in in the two hours. 
Um, so salted caramel truffles are delicious. Uh, panna cotta, chocolate panna cotta with cherries and um, like a dark chocolate kind of crumble. Um, so it really has kind of the flavors of a black forest. And then uh, we're doing a apricot and um, almond mondiant, which is like a little kind of like a giant chocolate button almost <laughs> with fruit and nuts on it. And it's um, it's perfect with coffee. And um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of give people a, a taste of different types of chocolate and show people different ways they can use it. Wow. It just all sounds fabulous. And then if that wasn't enough, are you doing a master's in nutrition as well? <laughs> yeah, how do, I am. How does yeah. that fit in with your passion yeah. and your love of chocolate? It probably doesn't sound like it fits in at all. Um, so uh, as, as I mentioned, when I, um, I, I did go traveling a number of years back and I, I came back and I wanted to learn something new. And, and that's when I applied for the master's. So it's, um, that was two years ago and I have one year left. So it's a part-time master's degree in UCD. And I've always been interested in nutrition, which doesn't, I suppose, as you said, doesn't really fit in. It's ironic considering I talk about sweet things for a living. But um, yeah, nutrition, I think, is something that's really interesting. And even when I did my culinary arts degree, I did my uh, my dissertation on um, the importance of like nutrition for children. And um, I just I just it's something that I've, I think is, is really important. And I've always been interested in it. So the, the master's is food, nutrition, and health. So it's it's kind of a bit of everything as well. It's quite science-based. Um, but this was just another kind of, I wanted to learn something new and push myself in a different way. So so that's, <laughs> that's ongoing as well. So I'm waiting for my summer results, actually, <laughs> uh, for my exams. But um, that's ongoing on the side, yeah, part-time. Well, look, best of luck getting the, the exam results. I have no doubt, based on our conversation, that your passion, your dedication, your hard work and your determination will mean that you have fantastic results. And it's been so lovely to talk to you this evening, to hear all about your, your story. And uh, we wish you the very best as well with the online cookery classes and the limited edition pastry line releases and continued success, Aoife. Thank you so much, Sarah. You're so kind. Uh, if you want to have a look on ethanoonan.com, there's a few different classes there to suit everybody. And my Insta and Twitter handle is ethanoonan underscore. It's lovely to talk to you. I really, really appreciate coming on. So thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, renowned award-winning pastry chef Aoife Noonan shared details about the latest stage in her career, which involves her own business offering a range of bespoke high-end online cookery glasses. And she also told us about her upcoming series of monthly must-have limited edition pastry line releases. And earlier on in the programme, we heard from Paul Moore, founder and director of Rebel Chili, an award-winning food producer that makes a range of sauces in Cork. If you're just tuning in now, as always, you can catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app.
Now, before we go tonight, some news for you. After all that award-winning talk with Aoife and Paul, how about a competition to enter? Do you know someone that has perfected their brown bread baking skills over the past year? Have you made a brilliant brown bread while stuck at home over the past few months? If the answer is yes, then this competition is for you. The National Brown Bread Baking Competition, sponsored by Aldi in association with the National Ploughing Association and the Irish Countrywomen's Association, is now open for entries. And if you think you have the recipe for success, log on to aldi.ie forward slash brown hyphen bread hyphen competition or visit ica.ie for information on how to enter, full terms and conditions and competition rules. The winner's brown bread will be stocked in all Aldi stores in Ireland for 12 months and they'll also receive a grand prize of €15,000. So best of luck if you do decide to enter. And that is all for tonight. Thank you so much for listening and to my guests, Paul Moore and Aoife Noonan. Tonight was the last show of the season. I will be back after the summer. Have a great one yourself and until then... Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.